You went a bit of vaudeville there. Vaudeville, yes. Um, mm. I've <laughs> while I've been waiting, I've been entertaining myself in a rather vaudevillian manner. Mm-hmm. When I was singing like this, <laughs> keeping myself entertained. That's hilarious. Yes, I, I can't. I can't do voices. That's well documented. I can barely do my own. Is it possible that you can uh, have the ability of being able to leave the room, voices happen, and then come back? <laughs> no, that doesn't happen. I guess not. I can't do that. Um, can you hear me okay? Because you're breaking up quite a lot. Oh, really? Yeah. No, I can hear you fine. You're coming through loud and clear. I can hear you, but it's kind of blip, 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 a little bit... Um... That's just the way I normally talk, isn't it? I mean... <laughs> It's a little bit Norman Collier, but not too much. Okay. Is that a kind of a dog? No. I just realised you might not know who Norman Collier is. Whoever gave you that idea. (laughs) He was a light entertainer of a previous generation uh, to mine. Oh, I've I've just um, searched him. I used DuckDuckGo, so I can't Mm -hmm. say I googled, because that would be a lie. What's DuckDuckGo? DuckDuckGo is a search engine which um, doesn't track you and doesn't have advertisers. Oh, that sounds nice. So I'm giving that a spin. Uh, Yes, Norman Collier. I uh, searched him, and I know exactly who you're talking about. I don't think he was very funny, but in an entertainment industry and a media which was just getting used to recorded audio... I imagine what he did was pretty groundbreaking. And it was in a time when people were only just coming to understand that microphones might sometimes uh, malfunction a little bit. Mm. As if they could even understand how they worked. Because it was like magic back then, wasn't it? A microphone, God. For definite, it was like there were ghosts in the room with you. Yes. Uh, much like the first, uh, that, that train zipping towards the audience. But that's another story. We're not in the show yet, are we? So... We won't talk about the history of cinema just yet. Talk about the history of cinema (laughs) from the old days. (laughs) In the black and white sepia tone days of the movies, it was square and no one said a word. Unanswered. Do you like movies? (laughs) Are you asking me? Do you like do you like films? Motion pictures, flicks. Uh, uh, yes. Have you got more words for them? Uh, not without cheating. The flickers? The flickers. Cinema. Phantasmagoria. I don't know if that's a word for films. It just... Glorious Technicolor. Yeah, metro, metro technic, metrosexual. No, that's Super something Super Marionation. Else. <laughs> <laughs> Super Mario Nation existed before Super Mario Brothers, didn't it? It did, yes. Um, that's where they came from. The Super Mario Nation. <laughs> Is this the earliest we've gone completely off topic? Luigi was an aberration. All the rest of Mario's. They're not actually brothers, they're just clones. <laughs> I don't know, they might, be, they might all be related. There might be a Super Supreme Mario that just... Um, that's asexual... And just pumps them out, pumps out Mario's. Popping them out of yep. its urethra. Yeah, quite painful. <laughs> and creates these uh, little Super Mario's. You see, people think the game cartridge that they have is just a copy. It's not. They've all got their unique Mario's inside. Yeah. All from the Super Supreme Mario from Super Mario Nation. With a slight st- 
stench of uh, of urethra. A urethra yeah. <laughs> Of incredibly tired, uh, painful, overused urethra. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, and if you haven't clicked stop and moved on with your life, <laughs> thanks. We're only two minutes in. So, yeah, films, uh, uh, movies, uh, and and cinema. This um, This isn't really, like, what are your top five films? Well, I like... It's more about the experience, I think. Is, is the angle I was looking at for this. About going to the cinema being a big deal, going to see a film on a big screen, seeing something exciting, going to a strange, perhaps even ornate place to see them, and then whatever the fuck it is now, which I don't think really has the same magic anymore. Boxes piled on boxes. Cinema, the places, not the thing. Because yes. cinema, cinema is the great big world of Hollywood, but it's also the places you go to see films. Mm-hmm. Getting the listener up to scratch on the whole uh, lingo. Um, well, because it's common, it's common for us in the UK to refer to them as cinemas, whereas yeah. in the uh, United States of America, it's usually a theatre. In theatres... And also the West Country, apparently. <laughs> in, <laughs> coming soon in theatres. My lover. <laughs> Love, actually. <laughs> um, that's, that's weird when you think about it, because in, in America, they've probably had cinemas, as we'd call them, yes. for longer now than they had theatres. Maybe? I don't know, maybe not. Maybe about the same amount of time. Whereas we've... Do they call actual theatres theatres as well in America? I should think so. Well, that's just confusing, isn't it? Well, theatres are theatres. The- theatres um, are a place where you go and see performances and everyone sits on seats and they look in a particular direction. And theatres have a stage and um, in a movie theatre, that stage gets replaced by a great big piece of something. Cotton? Nylon? I, th- I think cotton plastic. nylon. Some um, space age material. See that that's that's the thing, isn't it? Is because we're we're talking about the experience of going going to the cinema. That's, yeah, that's that's our focus. Yeah, but basically, you as for a moment there, you were suggesting that Americans are somehow barbarians that they that they <laughs> didn't they didn't have stage theatre and they didn't have plays. They just they just went straight to putting stuff straight, on the screens, straight to projection cinema. Yes, isn't isn't that the case? They're like, these touring productions are a waste of money when you could film it once and show it everywhere. Yeah, that, that's how I understand America working. It's the land of the free. Well, the land of the... I mean, films aren't free. Cinema isn't free. Free theatres aren't free. That's uh, piracy I'm thinking of there. Mm. So in that case, it's not the land of the free cinema. It's the land of the freedom to pay to watch cinema. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay. I'm glad we got that one screwed down. It's interesting because we, we've all kind of seen that footage of of the original films and how it wasn't act, they weren't actually even films. That that whole thing about the train coming towards the audience, and I don't, I, don't, I think that's it. I think literally it was a, a ten second film of the train coming towards the audience, and then everyone freaking out and fainting. And we never hear about whether or not there was a, a, a more satisfying narrative beyond that point. So as far as I can tell, literally what happened is all of those people went to that theatre and they pulled the screen down because it was probably a normal theatre that they just 
pulled a screen down and got the projector out on. Uh, uh, everyone sat down, watched a train coming towards them, and then and then that was it. That was the whole performance over. Uh, initially, it, it was even less than um, a normal theatre performance. I, I mention it because you, you drew the... It was an illusion, wasn't it? Yeah. You were just seeing a, a tech demo. Mm. That's, that's effectively what was happening. They were yeah. showing you this thing. Going, look, wow, this is amazing. It's like a magic trick. And uh, and then and I imagine that the first few years of cinema were probably like that quite a lot, and people were quite amazed by it. And then eventually narratives started to come out, and people were turning out mainly to see that rather than to go and see a play or a, a performer or some vaudeville or whatever. Um, but it, but there was a sense of wonder, and it, it wasn't just that you were choosing to go to the cinema to see something or to the theatre to see something. There literally wasn't anywhere else you could see it not not just there wasn't a specific place you could see the journey to the moon or whatever there wasn't anywhere else you could see anything even like that well except i suppose you could just go down to a train yard and watch a train coming at you there so so that doesn't really work does it there wasn't anywhere else indoors you could go and see a train (laughs) coming towards you (laughs) so it was a big deal It, it was exciting and my understanding of the history of cinema jumps from there to um, there, there must have there was there were people going and seeing a train, and then if you were French, you got to watch uh, someone shooting a little rocket into the face of Noel Fielding dressed as the Moon, and then there were fifty years of Harold Lloyd and Charlie Chaplin, and maybe a bit of Laurel and Hardy towards the end of it, and then there was Gone with the Wind, and then I was born and could start going to the cinema. And it was amazing going to the cinema back then because they were massive and it was it was a special occasion. I'm trying to think what the first film I went to see was. I think it was Pete's Dragon, which gives you some indication of how long ago it was. In the town I lived in, it was Peterborough, and there were two cinemas and they were like theatres. They were like, we've got the Mayflower here in Southampton, which I guess has been there for a couple of hundred years. I mean, it, it feels like a really old building. They were kind of like th- that sort of size, but they'd been broken down into three giant screens. Mm. And they'd only really be open in the evenings, like, well, like afternoon to evenings. That's when they'd kind of come alive. I think I probably only got to see films at weekends, but I don't really remember stuff like that. But what I do remember is there was this feeling of them being massive and them being something that lots of people went to, but there was almost also almost scarcity because there were only a few films coming out and because there were only a few screenings and there were only a few screens, so everyone was going to see the same films. Whenever I went to the cinema, I remember queues round the block. The cinema itself would be quite big and there'd be a queue right round the corner, not just for films like uh, Empire Strikes Back and stuff like that. I mean, for most films that had just come out in the last like couple of weeks there'd be huge queues and people would be well-natured and they'd be sit- they'd be happy kind of queuing because they knew they were going to see a film and it was exciting and i was young so i never had to pay for popcorn i guess so i never really got a sense that everyone was already over cinema food by that point the way we all are now and it just seemed like a really big deal i'm not saying it was an event we didn't put our best clothes on like they would have done Back in the olden days, we didn't put our Sunday clothes on to go to the cinema. But it was exciting, and the screen was always massive. And I guess the sound was always good, because you never really thought about anything like that. And it was just great, you know? 
I've got really fond memories of going to the cinema back then. I can't even remember most. Of, I'm sure I went a, f- a few times. There are certain there are certain trips to the cinema that really stick in my head. Yeah. Um. Mostly for reasons that weren't necessarily to do with the film. Um. I remember going and seeing Time Bandits because I wanted to go and see something else, and my dad. Uh, had decided we were going to go see Time Bandits, but hadn't necessarily made that clear to me. And so for the first 10 minutes of Time Bandits, I was in a right shit mood and probably made him really feel... <laughs> was was really making him feel that I was in a really shit mood. And then afterwards I had to, uh, uh, I, I had to eat crow and admit that he had had... I, I can't remember what we were going to go see, some shit Roger Moore James Bond film or something, I don't know. <laughs> um, and I went to see Warship Down once... Uh, but nobody knew. My parents didn't know I'd gone with the people at the adventure playground. So when I got back, the police were, they, they'd apparently called the police because they thought I'd gone missing. So I'd come back from the most traumatic film it's possible for a child to watch uh, to find my parents angry at me because they'd thought I'd been abducted. Um, but it, it was, it was exciting and it wasn't throwaway. It, it wasn't a throwaway experience at all. Yeah. As a child, Oh, look, we're talking about childhood again. <laughs> but um, as as a child, it wasn't a very frequent thing because, you know, your parents spent an awful lot of time just making sure you didn't do anything stupid, you know, with sharp objects or hot water. So that there wasn't much opportunity for them to feel like there was time in their lives to be able to take you out for a treat to go to the cinema. They had too many other things to deal with. So when you were taken to the cinema, it was because it was like a, you know, a birthday or um, kind of a special occasion in the school holidays or something. It wasn't very frequent because it was a big deal. And because it involved you as a kid, it would usually be a kid's film anyway. It'd be something that you're engaged with. It's not like they're going to drag you along to some kind of talky drama. You know, it was going, it was going to be cool. It was going to be interesting. Those experiences stick because they were infrequent, because they were special, because it was a big deal. Because this, a cinema was a very different environment and you hadn't seen anything as big as that, whether it was animation or live action or whatever. It's just like, wow, that's massive. People have bloody 60-inch, 72-inch TVs in their front rooms now and it's like, Meh. Yeah. But you've got to think, you know, it would have been a big deal to have a 20-inch TV. So going into, you know, a, a, a theatre, a movie theatre, with this massive silver screen was just amazing. And of course, because you're young, it looks twice as big. Huge thing. I think maybe the reason, as I said before, maybe the reason those places were so huge was because they were retrofitted really huge theatres, and that's probably why. But films were popular enough as well, or, or they were scarce enough at least, that I don't remember I don't remember growing up ever noticing and that I was in an empty theatre, do you know what I mean? It just didn't... There were always lots of people there. I can't remember what the audiences were like in cinemas back then. Certainly when we watch old newsreels of old newsreels, when people were watching their news and watching Buck Rogers... And, and stuff like that at cinemas, they weren't all just sitting there quietly, were they? They were causing a ruckus. It was that communal thing. It was It was quite, if a news story was exciting, they were all going, and, and when Buster Crab was flying his little spaceship, they were probably getting quite excited as well. And I can't remember as a kid sitting there completely r- r- wrapped, except that the way I watch films is I am totally focused. 
on them. I don't know if everyone else in the cinema was like that, and I know that they aren't now, but I I don't know if that's because I was just so much more focused back then and so much less irritated by everything else. I don't know what cinemas were like then. It wasn't like that situation where you go in and you you get your bit of news and a cartoon and a couple of episodes of something and you come back week after week for serial stuff mm. it, it was starting to be more focused on films actually there's an evolution that's probably quite interesting that we don't know enough about or have time for but it would have been serials to begin with that people were going to watch and by the time the 70s rolled around that just didn't that didn't happen at all so tv had already completely taken care of that tv was around by that point we already had soap operas and stuff like that yeah so that would have that would have turned the cinema more into a treat or an event than it had been previously you start to see cinemas already becoming less of a communal thing from the point at which tvs became more common because all of the stuff that people used to gather around for the news and the serials and stuff like that that was all now happening in much smaller groups in houses oh my God, maybe TV really is the reason that society has turned into these hostile little groups living in houses next door to each other, hating each other. People always said that TV was evil when I was growing up, but but it it, it turns out they're probably right. The funny thing is that they're probably all watching the same thing. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. They could have all been at the cinema. Economies of scale and everything. Yeah, they're all at home in their separate little homes, gathered around their TVs, burning kilowatts while watching The Great British Bake Off. And they could have just gone down to the cinema and took some cakes with them. They could have made some cakes and took it down to the cinema and then passed them down the line. Oh, do you want a cake? I brought this big Tupperware tub full of um, butterfly cakes. I made them myself. The TV is literally the only reason people aren't... Because back then, there were, like, three channels, and you were a sort of person based on which of those channels you watched. You could have had a cinema for ITV people and a cinema for BBC people, and so the posh people wouldn't ever have to talk to the ITV people at all, but you'd still have everyone feeling like they were part of something bigger than themselves. And the bake-off would be perfect for something like that. The trick... Though the cheeky, it all, it's all cyclical thing is that that's starting to happen again now, isn't it? Because well, people yeah. are going to the cinema to watch the first episode of Doctor Who. Yeah. When that comes out. And, but that's, that's a different thing. That's how cinemas are starting to try and get people back. I'm sure we'll get to that in a minute. It was probably cheap. We don't really know how much it was. Doesn't matter. That's a parent thing. Only parents need to worry about that. Yeah, it was really. their business. Yeah, that was none of our business. Um, I'm trying to remember if I went to see anything by... I must have started going to see films by myself at some point, but for the life of me, the only thing I can remember... The first film I can really remember going completely off and watching by myself is Terminator 2, and that can't be right. I must have been about 15 or 16 by that point. But yeah, I guess there's a little bit of a rite of passage to it as well, isn't there? I don't know. Did you ever go on a typical date? Oh, my word. Um... I don't think I ever did. I've been to the cinema with people I've already been in relationships with, but mm-hmm. in terms of that actually kind of going on a date with someone, I'm struggling to recall a time when I would have done. So, yeah, that doesn't really work for me, I'm afraid. Sorry. See, no, no, but that's, I don't think I have either. 
it's it's been the traditional thing oh you go and uh you're going on a on a hot date with a new person you haven't met before and uh, maybe you'll have a meal before or maybe you'll have a meal after or and then you know this person you haven't seen before you're going to take them to the pictures to watch a great movie and sit in the dark next to each other for two hours not saying a word it's a stereotype it's the thing you're supposed to do but i don't see the practicality of going to the cinema <laughs> with someone that you barely know and want to get to know it's a situation where you're not really supposed to talk as a second date or a third date well i guess so if you like them enough and you're both interested in a film and you perhaps you know you've sort of beforehand discussed what films you like then it might make sense and if it gives you the opportunity to kind of like brush against them a little you know not your groins just just your you know a shoulder a, a, an elbow or you you know a dick in a box then that's something that works then but like the first time when you don't even know them you see again this this is where i'm starting to because i know we're both quite cantankerous now about the cinema and I'm starting to wonder if if this is about the whole tradition being flawed or if you and I just liking to pay attention to films when we're at the cinema is a factor and if maybe we're the aberrant ones. I think there's, uh, I think there's some truth in that because, um, I, you know, I've been a fan of the cinema experience and, I've, and, and I enjoy watching films on the big screen. Some people are, are, are the kind of people who just want to see famous people or spectacle and that's the big screen experience and everything else is just boring and unimportant mm-hmm. where I'm one of those art house wankers that likes to see quirky little independent things where people just talk to each other for 90 minutes. Yeah. But you know, it's worth seeing that on the big screen because that's where you're supposed to see it. And it's nice to feel like, you, you know, you're actually supporting those kind of films by going to a cinema to watch them. And I certainly like to pay attention and I am a lean forward kind of guy. I, I lean forward passive aggressively sometimes. Like, yes, shut up, I'm paying attention to this. Yeah, exactly, if people around (laughs) me are making noise, I will do that sometimes, yeah. Yeah, and I've gone to the cinema, I've gone to see a movie with a different purpose than to some people who um, have some, uh, have a bit of cash burning a hole in their pocket or want to go out on a Friday night but don't know what film they want to see. Now, that's one thing that blows my mind, and it's something that I saw both going to the cinema as a punter, but also working in a cinema as well. People who go to the pictures, the movie theatre, to see a film, but they don't know what they want to watch. It's not like they've heard a thing from a friend, a recommendation, or they um, read the movie reviews. They have come to the cinema with no idea of what they're going to watch, and they're going to base that on either what's on right now or what poster looks good. I can't wrap my head around that at all. I wonder how much that's about disposable income, because I I was quite skint for a really long time in my teens and, and then in my into my 20s. And so it, it, even though the price of cinema tickets has gone up, it feels like quite a lot in the last few years, it was never a disposable amount of money for me. It, it felt like a really weird thing to do with your evening and a weird thing to do with your money. It all seemed very uncertain and nebulous because... You're spending money that I couldn't afford on something that, if you don't enjoy it, is going to be you there for two hours in the dark not enjoying something. I guess I was super conscious of that because I didn't see them from your perspective, which was seeing them being vague about what they were going to watch when they were coming to get their tickets. But I've definitely experienced people inside cinema screens who didn't seem remotely interested in what they've ended up watching. 
And although I find that annoying as a fellow audience member, I have always just found it baffling from a, a, a financial and a time base. I don't, I don't know why it, it seems like there are cheaper, uh, less restricting ways <laughs> to spend the time if you're not that fussed about the film. You mentioned Dick in a Box. Are you talking about that popcorn thing? Because I do just want a sidebar on this one a little bit. Yeah. Sidebar is a thing I've just decided I'm saying, apparently. Um, that's the, the the putting when you're on a date. You've got a big tub of popcorn. Yes. You cut a hole in the bottom. Mm-hmm. And you put your penis in the bottom. Yeah. And then when they get to the... The theory, I think, is that when the lady gets to the... Or the man, I'm not being normative, uh, gets to the bottom of the thing their fingers brush against your penis and, and there's a mild frizz on for a moment is that what that's supposed to be about so the legend would have it yes i've never tried it myself because i don't like the idea of having a popcorn and cock <laughs> really <laughs> you know especially when when you think about your traditional um bucket of popcorn or bag of popcorn or box or, what, or, or whatever way it comes to you all of those little loose flaky bits always end up traveling to the bottom yeah. That's the stuff that's going to be all, you know, all over. And if it's salty as well, and if you've had butter on it, can you imagine the state your groin's going to be in? And, like, are you supposed to be hard while this is happening? Because... I don't know. Depending on the film, depending on how long you've got to wait, I mean, that's quite an effort. It's nothing to do with flavour, then. I don't know when you. I don't know when you do that, for a start. I don't know the logistics of it. So, because you're normally with your date... You go to the counter to get the popcorn. Yeah. The whole time there are other people around. Yeah. And then you go into where you, you give the guy your ticket, the guys hit all the lady, they, they take your ticket, they cut it, they, they rip it in half. You're like, oh, I wanted to keep that as a souvenir, never mind. And then you go all the way in, there's still no hole in the bottom of the popcorn because otherwise popcorn would just be falling out. Nobody's going to take popcorn into the toilet to do this, are they? No. Because that's just weird. You're worried over exactly when the the, the the whole drilling is happening. It can't be obvious, right? Hmm. Especially when your your date is going to be sitting right next to you. So you've got to wait until the house lights go down and the adverts and the trailers and all that stuff happens. So that's kind of the opportunity, isn't it? While your hot date is deeply engaged with um, an ambiguous and unimpenetrable commercial for a car... That's yeah. when you poke a little hole in in the tub, a little little hole. And I would I would imagine there's a device, yeah, because scissors that's tough because you've got to take the scissors in with you, so it's got to be in a pocket. And you know, if you sat down as well, you you're probably sort of almost stabbing yourself in the leg with them. So it, I think it has to be a very dedicated tool. So this is getting quite specific, isn't it? Do you go into a special shop for that? Is it something that gets advertised in the back of uh, magazines and you have to send away a stamped addressed envelope or something in order to get it? It's fair to say I have questions. Me too. That's definitely one of them. And even if you're not hard the whole time, you'd have to be hard at the beginning, wouldn't you? Otherwise, you're just trying to funnel the thing up there, all the popcorn trying to come out. It seems like a lot of effort to go to because is the hope that your date will get to the bottom, their hands will end up on your penis, they'll think it's a piece of popcorn, and they'll yank on it, but that won't work, and they'll be like, wow, but I really want this bit of popcorn. So they'll just keep yanking on it, not knowing what they're doing, until everything's a buttery mess. 
Is that what they're doing? Or is the hope that they will realise what it is and be so turned on by your inventiveness <laughs> <laughs> that you're going to get lucky? Because it seems to me that the only real purpose of it is shock value. And I like having sex enough that if I managed to get a girl to go to the cinema with me, I would probably hold off on doing anything that would make her run out of the cinema screaming. Yeah. Especially something penis-related. There are too many things that just, you know, don't really work. And there's a possibility of wasted popcorn. Well, there's going to be a certain amount of popcorn wastage. You're going to get popcorn on yourself, which isn't going to be pleasant. And for a, and for an extended period of time, because, you know, it's going to take a while to get to the bottom of the, of the back. It's going to be uncomfortable. And you're also going to have to deal with that thing where you are having to insist on keeping the popcorn in your possession yeah you come across the right jerk unlike kind of like having it on the side of you or giving the tub over for a bit and then having it back so you like take turns before any of the dick stuff actually happens first of all you're coming across as a bit selfish because it's like no i'm hanging on to this tub of popcorn and what if you need to take a pee you're gonna i mean you're gonna have to be very careful to have gone to the loo before the film started, plus mm-hmm. not get one of those absolutely massive cups of um, fizzy drink, because otherwise... You're I didn't probably... know where that sentence was going. I'll look forward to uh, where you think that was going to go in just a moment. Um, but yeah, otherwise, you know, you're going to be drink- drinking yourself into a full bladder and you're going to need to pop off. So what do you do with the popcorn then? Oh. Are you thinking... What, what if you have scoped the cinema out beforehand and you've got a second tub with a door on it. (laughs) It seems like a really long way to go for something where the best case scenario isn't that good. It is thoroughly contrived. Because if you want someone to touch your penis in a cinema, you don't really need something as messy and as... Um, impractical to be in the way exactly if you just whipped it out then you're going to probably get exactly the same response which is put that fucking thing away (laughs) i'm watching a film and it just gets the whole thing over and done with a lot quicker what what happens if you've misjudged the chemistry and (laughs) i think if the whole idea of getting your cock out in the cinema Tub or no tub is a misjudgment of the situation. <laughs> well, no. I mean, what I, what I mean is, what if uh, what, what if you're in the cinema and you've done all this, you've got yourself all uh, g'd up, yeah. and it's it's a nice film, and the person you're you're there with um, already really likes you and isn't big on films, but is really big on dark places and uh, and uh, and sexy situations and they they're very grateful to you because you've been holding on to the popcorn because they don't want to have to deal with that stuff so they think you're being generous in that way like a gentleman yeah like a gentleman and you've paid for it as well and and all of that stuff and so they're feeling quite and you generous and you've brought your own tub with you <laughs> <laughs> exactly and and so then you're getting on really well they seem vaguely interested in the film because there's vaguely sexy stuff going on in the film mm. they start like their hands on your hand and you're like oh this is going well and then they start kissing your neck and and then the hands are all up and down your front and then you realize that 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 they're gonna go for a hand job how do you extricate yourself i mean but my 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 cock's in the popcorn 
how, how does that situation play out? It just all seems wrong to me. I don't, I don't know. I um, I'm just wondering whether whether we just turn this episode in, into the <laughs> the popcock episode. Yeah, the popcorn cock conundrum. <laughs> Well, I mean, you've probably got quite a lot of material there. I, uh, I don't know. Just don't know how we top this now, though. Um, you, you mentioned earlier on about the difference between whether you get salty or, or or sugary popcorn. Yes, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what popcorn we like. Things have changed. Yeah, just just in the the time that my wife and I have been together, I think when I was growing up, you could probably get salty or sweet popcorn. You didn't really get to mix it up at all. And then it started to become a thing that you could have half and half if you wanted. Mm. But even as short time ago as about eight or nine years, when I first started going to the cinema with Amy, she used to find it weird that what I would like to do is get a bit of salty and a bit of sweet and a bit of salty and a bit of sweet and a bit of salty because I like the sensation of not knowing which flavour I'm going to get. Back then, she used to think I was crazy but now, in, in less than 10 years, I think lots of people ask for that now because they always know exactly what you mean when you ask for it. And now my wife looks like she's the weird one because she's rolling her eyes at me while the person behind the counter is just going, yeah, OK, I can do that. That's no problem at all. So the culture's changing and I think it's becoming more accepting of, uh, of different people of diversity. In an exclusive confession on this uh, very episode of Unanswered, when I was working part-time in a cinema, in random bags of popcorn, (laughs) I would place a jalapeno pepper at the bottom. (laughs) Why did you do that, Steve? (laughs) Um, Because it was evil. (laughs) Uh, What is wrong with you? I, um... I don't know why. I don't know why I did it. I didn't. I didn't like working at the food kiosk. It was my least favourite part of the cinema to work in. I can imagine because there are people coming up with stupid demands <laughs> all the time. I guess it's the most human contact you get in the cinema, presumably, isn't it? It's the worst kind of human contact, yeah. actually. Um, I only managed in the seven or eight months I was there. I, I think I only managed maybe two or maybe three turns in the box office. Mm-hmm. Quite like working in the box office. Uh, number one, you know, obviously you're just sitting there for the whole shift and you don't really have to do anything else. So in that respect, it's kind of, you know, you're not doing a great deal. You're not having to deal with boring stuff. And when it's quiet, you can just talk to whoever else is at the uh, at the box office with you. But on the flip side of that, you get nearly all of the time you're getting people in their best mood. Uh, they've just come in and they know exactly what they want to see or on a couple of occasions they might ask y- your opinion. Oh, I don't know which one. And you can go, okay, well, if you like this kind of film, then you should do this sort of thing. So you can make a recommendation to them at that point. Um, unless they're really pushed for time, they, they, they tend to, they've only just turned up, they tend to be excited. You know, they're not grumpy. When I was an usher, You'll stand at the door, you'll take their tickets. If it's uh, a, a general seating thing, that's it. So you have to worry about it. If you're showing them to their seats, then 
you're with them a little bit longer, but you know, you tear their ticket, you show them to their seats. Most of the time they say, thank you very much. And that's it. Very brief interaction. When it comes to the food kiosk, it's the no man's land of cinema. You are now in their way. They're kind of hungry. Maybe they know what they want. Maybe they don't. Maybe they're gritting their teeth and begrudging the fact that they're having to pay through the nose for stuff that they could get at half the price if they bought it anywhere else. Um, And also they've got to wait. You know, if they've asked for like some nachos or a hot dog or something, they might have to wait. Thankfully, in the time that I was working in the kiosk, the drinks had already become self-service. And nearly all of the time there was some popcorn already under the lamps so they could just grab them themselves. So usually it was just they'd bring a couple of things to the till and you'd scan it and go. But it was always the most understaffed place. There might be one or two people, three at real busy times working there. And there might be maybe two on the till point at any given point. And if it's really busy, then you've always got a, you know, a queue of like four or five customers back. So they've picked their thing up and now they're standing in a queue and waiting. And you're in their way. A lot of people, when they go to the cinema, they've already pushed themselves for time a little bit because they don't want to get there early. They don't want to sit through the ads. You know, maybe they'll watch a few trailers, but it's surprising actually how many people come into a cinema screen and the film's almost started. I find that really weird. Yeah, I do too. I, lo- I love trailers so much. I love, I love getting there before the house lights go down, finding a seat, getting comfortable, anticipating, you know, being able to have a little chat while you wait. I think it's quite nice. I hate rushing, you know, I hate being pushed for time. So it's nice to be able to just spend that time and soak in the fact that you're in a cinema before anything actually kicks off. So, yeah, I didn't really enjoy the kiosk so much. And um, that was the place where I ended up spending an awful lot of time, despite asking several times that, you know, can you move me somewhere else, please? Because this isn't doing it for me. Was there a hierarchy to who would get to do which? I think the people who were either the more regular or long-serving part-timers or certainly some of the full-timers are going to more likely be placed in the box office, whereas the part-timers can be stationed anywhere, really. You know, and you've got to think, a place like a multiplex cinema today is, is going to have a revolving door of staff in a way that a cinema of probably 30 years ago didn't. You know, a, a cinema with maybe only two screens, for example, um, probably had people there and this is this is pure guesswork but probably people who were there you know maybe they were only ever full-time or maybe a part-time job was like maybe only one or two people there and the rest were full-timers now where a lot of these places it's mostly part-time work Mm. very temporary some people might only be in and out within a matter of weeks I certainly, I certainly don't envy the person there who was having to deal with a rotor every week. A lot of people like me who were college age at the time going, oh, I don't want to do this day or I can't do this day because of this, that and the other. And they've got to try and balance this all out. Probably a lot of people flaking, just, just completely flaking on days as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So sometimes you just end up where you end up, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I didn't enjoy it there really. And um, that's when I discovered jalapeno peppers for the first time and gone, oh, they taste nice, and then ouch, my mouth. You're like Tyler Durden. Just started burying them in the odd random bag. <laughs> Never <laughs> heard anything about it. No one ever mentioned anything. <laughs> no customer said, oh, there's this thing at the bottom of the bag. So one of two things happened. Number one, they just assumed it was human error. Number two, they never got to the bottom of the bag. <laughs> You're an awful person. 
That's hilarious. Though. Maybe they liked jalapeno peppers. Maybe they didn't realise. I'd sooner a jalapeno than a jalapeno. I tell you what, if anyone tried the dick in the popcorn thing in one of uh, one of my booby trap bags, I think they would have learnt about it pretty quick. <laughs> oh gosh! Now, what I don't know is, I've always assumed that moving to that model, the several screens, just get people being open all day, get people through as quickly as you can, get as many people through and as many films through as possible. The very, it feels like a very corporate and and mechanical structure a sort of way of seeing films because it's very much designed to just get people through the door give them as many options as possible in the hope that you'll get as many people through as possible and blah i've always assumed they started making cinemas like that out of greed and then ultimately that killed all of the other cinemas i don't know if cinemas were starting to fail a little bit and they figured that that was the best model it was it was one or the other Definitely, they either thought, wow, we're really raking it in right now. What we need is more screens. That's what people come for. We'll just get as many screens as possible, and that will... It can't fail. People will always want to. People will just fill in all of the different theatres. Or if literally the three screen places with the more films that were coming out and and competing with VHS and stuff like that, if the only way to sustain themselves was to become these bigger places. I don't know. I choose to think it was greed that did it because I hate multiplexes so much. <laughs> but back then, still, there was still this element to it that most of the people... You ended up working in a cinema if you kind of liked films a lot of the time, or certainly most of the people I knew did. But projectionists were still really important in those cinemas. The early you know, multiplexes in the 90s, being a projectionist was quite a skilled job. Yes. The real change I saw was when, I don't know if it was a shift to digital projection or, or what, but suddenly there didn't seem to be a brain in that projection booth anymore. It felt like films were being set to go. I think it would be fair to say, actually, before digital projection, that was already happening. Right. Yeah. I, I, don't, remember the, I don't remember there ever being a technical glitch in a cinema. I'm sure there were. But um, the point at which I started really falling out of love with cinemas, the way... I feel like it happened is the multiplex was too big an expansion for films. People didn't want to go to the cinema enough to fill these places because they're vast. You know, the screens themselves aren't that big, but the amount of seating capacity and the amount of room for people to queue up to get fil- to get tickets and stuff are huge. And they started just emptying out a little bit. You started hearing about your friends losing jobs in there and staffing becoming more and more scarce, which was probably when you started working in one of these places. Because there were times when there were always loads of staff scurrying around, doing all the different jobs and helping people and stuff. But by the time you were working in a cinema, it sounds like that was all but done and everyone was stretched pretty thin. But the time I really started falling out of love with the whole experience was, uh, and I think it was a Harry Potter film, which is a bit embarrassing. I think it was uh, Prisoner of Azkaban. Films have been starting to use quite clever techniques, filming techniques to get certain effects. And so you're watching it for the first... And, and, you know, directors can be quite artistic with their camera angles and stuff. So for the first 30 seconds of this film, I think everyone thought it was meant to be the way it was because you couldn't see the tops of anyone's heads. The the tops of everyone's heads went off the top of the screen and you maybe thought, well, this is quite avant-garde. It's weird weird for a Harry Potter film, but but maybe the director's trying to, to like leave their stamp on it. And then about 30 seconds later, you realise that the tops of everyone's heads were at the bottom of the screen. And then 
I think everyone kind of expected that to get fixed because you're in a cinema and one of the things cinemas are good for is making sure films are being shown properly. That's what you're thinking anyway. But about two or three minutes passed and it didn't get addressed and nobody was in the screen seeing it was happening to go and fix it. You know, no staff were there. And I actually had to get up and go and find a member of staff, which meant going all the way to the place where they take your tickets and to find someone, tell them there was a problem then get all the way back to the screen before it got fixed. And it was kind of at that point that I realised that I cared more about the film that was showing at the cinema than the cinema cared about the film that was showing at the cinema. And now I can't, I can't help but remember that whenever I'm in a place and we've just paid what seems like more and more money for 3D that we didn't want to see anyway. And, and then you've kind of, the last time you see a human being is miles away from your screen. You have to go like down a long corridor and then down another long corridor to find it. And then you end up in a screen and the screen's tiny and barely right. I just kind of remember that there was a point where the cinema cared more about the films than I did or at least it felt that way, the very least you should be able to expect is that the sound works and the screen works. That Harry Potter film wasn't the only time that's happened. It's happened in a few screenings I've been in since. Not that exact problem, but sound not being right or other things. And it's always a member of the audience who has to go and find someone Mm. because the staff are stretched so thin and there's not a projectionist in the booth anymore seems like an incredible amount of privilege to give a shit about stuff like that but it 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 makes me sad because it it wasn't what it used to be like a cinema used to be the best place to go and see a film and watching it on your screen at home was the poor cousin to that not just because you didn't have an amazing sound system or just because you had quite a small screen but because no matter how big your tv was it was never going to be quite as big it's not even a Blu-ray thing. Even since DVD, you, you, you lo- I've lost faith in cinemas to have the best print of something or a clean print of something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You've got the multiplex economy. For whatever land you have to, to build a cinema, you're going to want to put as many screens in there as you possibly can. Double-decker them if you could. Mm. Um, you know, as many screens as possible, as many showings as you can do, to the point where now... A big enough deal of a movie in a multiplex is probably taking two or three screens by itself mm-hmm. to maximise the amount of people coming through. Part of that also, in all honesty, has to do with the frequency of films now. Yeah, for sure, there are more of them. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a crazy crowded market. With more screens, obviously, comes the need of having enough people to keep them clean, show people to their seats, all that kind of stuff, but... That costs money, so you want to try and keep that lean. A projectionist will be lucky in the modern era now to have a job. Or if they do, it would have been so vastly undervalued because perhaps very few, if any, of the screens in a multiplex are still going to be on film. A lot of these things are going to be digital, in which case you've just got to make sure the thing focuses and is loosely in sync and you just press play. If already these things aren't automated. So some of the, some of the, um, some of the human touches are already gone, you know, regardless of the quality of the film. You're going to have that transitory staffing where not many of them will really be able to advise you on the kind of film that you'd like to see or even have a, you know, or even just be able to say, oh, that's a good film, you enjoy it sort of thing. You know, there isn't the sincerity that comes through. 
So I think on the personability of the environment, it's a tougher sell. Before you even get to the kind of experience you have communally, you're right. Um, when you said earlier, it's not necessarily that every single person is going to be wrapped in watching, but they're not going to be necessarily antisocial either. They might be talking quietly to the person next to them, or they might laugh obnoxiously loud at something funny, and that might be it. Whereas now, you know, you'll have people checking their phones, people kicking the back of your seat, just dossing around, and disrupting the experience for the other people in the room. The cinema was still, obviously, once upon a time, a real big deal when your other option was to watch it on a small 4 by 3 tube screen with a single speaker. There's no comparison. Whereas now, you know, for not a great deal of money, you can buy a pretty large TV screen. And even DVDs are good enough quality. A Blu-ray is mind-blowing in the quality that they can put on a, on, on a screen. And, and now it's like, well... I could watch this film at home and I can see as much detail and it'll sound pretty good and I'll get to concentrate on it, pause it when I want to, to go to the toilet so I'm not going to miss anything. No one's talking over it. No one's kicking the back of my seat. I can eat whatever the hell I like and it's not going to cost me anything. And you can engage in it a little bit more, I think. I mean, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this was... As we record this, Guardians of the Galaxy has just been released. And myself and Life Partner Jane were talking about whether we were going to see that at the cinema or not. And we were doing this pros and cons of whether it was worth it because of that choice now. Mm -hmm. Out of all of the films that have been released this year, this is the one that has got my interest more than a lot of the others. There aren't many movies that come out nowadays that make me want to go to the cinema to see them. Um, and this one was like, that might be worth it. And then when we talked about it, it was like, have you seen the price of tickets now? Depending on the place that you pick, you could be spending between the two of you £20 to go and see a movie without factoring in the cost of travel, without factoring in the cost of getting anything to eat. Compare that to the price of buying a DVD or a Blu-ray. Compare that to the price of a Netflix subscription or an Amazon video subscription. And all you have to do is just be patient and it's going to come to you anyway. That's the kind of thing that cinemas really have to compete with. And I don't think they're going to be able to win people like me back anymore. Maybe they don't have to try and make that cinema experience special. Maybe they do just get the biggest, loudest films and put them as many screens as possible to capture those people who do just want to see that stuff. And maybe they've lost me forever. I don't know. But there is, I think there still is a place. And even though they're owned by Cineworld now, so they're not as independent, the um, Picture House brand of cinemas at least tries to have a little bit of that what would now look to be that traditional cinema going experience, you know, where it's not a multiplex environment, where there are fewer screens, where it is more about the pleasure of having a nice place to go to see a film because it's an art house brand as well, as well as having some of the big deal films in there. They're also going to have quirkier independent titles or documentaries or something quite serious or what have you. So there's the opportunity to see a wider gamut of what cinema can bring to you. And it's not just about what has the largest marketing budget. So for that kind of cinema goer, at least that's there. 
without that, th- then you're relying on, you know, second run, independent things, village halls, probably you get a print in six months down the road and, and play something out. You know, you're really having to, to go to that level. But um, the times where I have been to see a film at the cinema in the last few years has become more sparse. The time between each time I've been has got, has got longer and I've been more selective about where I go and when. I'm definitely not a Friday night cinema goer. I'm not a Wednesday night cinema goer because of Orange Wednesday. I know that a two-for-one thing's great, but two-for-one also means that you get a hell of a lot of people in. Hmm. It'll depend on the film you see and when you go and see it. I know, mm-hmm. but that does have an effect on the ability to enjoy it. I've just lost, I've lost faith, not hmm. necessarily in watching a film i want to see on the big screen but i've lost faith in the ability of a cinema to treat a film respectfully and i've lost faith in the audience being able to treat the experience with respect too that's where i've ended up i haven't stopped loving films i haven't stopped enjoying watching a good movie when i rented gravity it just come out as a digital rent and i thought I was interested in seeing this, didn't go and see it at the cinema, but this is certainly worth the three or four pounds to rent it. I got to enjoy it uninterrupted. I didn't feel like as a 2D movie watching experience, I really lost anything. I would have gained perhaps by seeing it on a bigger screen, that slightly more immersive feel, absolutely, but I didn't lose anything. I didn't not see how much of a technical spectacle it was. I didn't not see the great performances i didn't not feel the emotion i didn't not feel the peril i hadn't lost anything and for someone who used to go to the cinema an awful lot and used to be a lean forward watcher in a cinema screen it's a strange thing to have to compare myself today to i'm not sad what i actually am is kind of angry because in the back of my head and a lot of the time in the front of my head it doesn't feel like this is natural decline. It feels like there are actual decisions that make cinemas hostile environments for people who want to watch films now. Yeah. You've mentioned the behaviour of the audience, and some of that might just be us being fussy. Oh, yeah, no question. Absolutely yeah. no question. Some of it might be a, a bit of social slippage. Maybe people are just a bit less respectful than they used to be. But I think a, a big part of it is that you just don't feel that there's anyone watching how you're behaving in there. The way people are, and and this is an interesting thing that I've started noticing at cinemas now, uh, some screenings that we go to, especially if it's a newer film, someone will come out, So a member of staff will come out at the beginning, they'll do a little bit, sometimes there'll be an anti-piracy bit in there, but sometimes it'll just be, welcome to the cinema, Uh, you're about to watch this, hope you enjoy it, blah, blah, blah. It's a nice thing that they're doing. It makes it feel like a more human experience. Sometimes they'll even get a little round of applause because people understand that it's quite stressful for someone, especially probably a tent member of staff, to get up in front of a darkened auditorium and say something. And we used to do this when I worked in a shop all the time, and I think it's a very clear psychological thing. The other thing they're doing is they're saying, there are people here watching you. Even if you then see that person leave the screen you've had that thing at the beginning which says there are staff members here they're here to help me if i need it but they're also there's also an awareness of what is going on in this screen 
uh, I think that has just a really tiny little psychological effect, which means, okay, people might still be checking their phones, they might still be doing certain things, but it's less likely to uh, get out of control people to actually be shouting and laughing with their mates, which I've I've ended up having to talk to people about in screens before now. But that's, that sounds like a really positive thing, but it's attached to a negative thing because I think they've started doing that because of piracy, because of actual piracy, but because of the whole cinema industry's uh, obsession with piracy. And again, I'm not an insider. I don't know how real this problem is, and we're not going to talk about piracy. But one thing that I find actively hostile and frustrating is that when I have paid more than £10 to go and see a film, Mm -hmm. to then be hectored and lectured, to be treated as a criminal or a potential criminal by the people that I have just paid through the nose, makes me feel unpleasant. It doesn't make me feel like this is a communal experience. It makes me feel like I'm being exploited somehow. Do you know what I mean? I've just paid a chunk of money. Absolutely. I agree. That That's really frustrating. And it always used to frustrate me on DVDs and stuff like that, but it's become worse at actual cinemas. It's horrible. But then there's the third thing. Movie industry started using 3D recently. Well, it's not recently anymore in the last few years. It's about making the cinema experience seem like something special again. Yeah. So they started making films in 3D or started presenting films in 3D. And I think ticket sales maybe went up, but that might be partly because tickets now cost a lot more as well. And the way they've implemented those changes, for a while it looked like they were going to try and help you, the customer, by letting you buy your own glasses and bring them in and not have to pay for them. But more recently, what started happening is that they haven't been doing that. They've still been charging you for a 3D ticket. The 3D portion of the ticket hasn't been included in buy one, get one free offers that I've uh, been to see films on. When we went to see Dread, we had a buy one, get one free. It was it was Orange Wednesday, as you mentioned before. There's the Orange Wednesday thing. Um, but only the normal price portion of the ticket was buy one, get one free. We still got charged the extra fiver for the fact that we were seeing Dread in 3D. But the big problem, especially with a film like Dread, is you don't have any other option but to see it in 3D because they don't give you another option. They've got multiple screens, but none of those screens have 2D on them. If Hollywood and if the cinemas genuinely believed in 3D as the future, they wouldn't have charged you any more to see them. No, exactly. If they had the faith, they would have solved that problem. They would have made them 3D. 2D would be an option, and that's fine. And perhaps it would just be the same price. But instead, they said, well, here we go. We've made this 3D film. It's all great. Um, but cinemas have had to upgrade all their equipment. And instead of us swallowing that cost, because that's just the cost of doing business, we're going to move that charge onto you, which is a great way of being able to inflate ticket prices even more. So you've got this two-tiered system. I understand the, that there's a practicality with 3D glasses. If you're going to see a 3D film, 3D glasses have to be there available to you because there's always going to be someone who hasn't seen a 3D film before. So it's not just like you can say you've got to buy your own 3D glasses from Tesco and bring them with you. They've got to be there as an option. So there's always going to be that practicality of having to charge people for that. But to stick something else on the ticket price because they've had to upgrade their equipment is bonkers when... It was in the cinema's best interest to upgrade from film projection to digital projection so they could 
have less experienced projectionists or even fire the projectionist. Mm. And that wasn't something that you, know, you had to pay more money for. Yeah. So yeah, I, the way that 3d has been presented to us is frankly gimmickry. Mm. And there is always going to be a problem. If 3d is really going to work, there is always going to be a problem where you have to put something on your face in order to watch it properly. I think probably the biggest thing that I've criticized 3D movies for is that it's built-in piracy protection. If all films were 3D and you had to wear an encryption device on your face in order to see it, there is no way you could pirate it. Mm -hmm. It is rights-managed, in effect. They put something up on screen you can barely make out and you have to wear a device on your face in order to fix it. No one can go in with with a camcorder at the back of the screen and capture it because it would look like nonsense. So you've done two things. You've been able to increase the cost and you've been able to make your movies harder to pirate. But you've also made it more expensive for people to go. You've made it so that some people, especially those who wear glasses anyway, but other people will have astigmatism or other sight difficulties where they're not going to be able to see a 3D film properly created an accessibility issue where there wasn't one basically yeah absolutely yeah the bottom line is this go round on 3d is all for the benefit of people who make the films not for the benefit of people who watch them for those who go and see a 3d movie and really enjoy it fantastic i'm glad you're having a good time but if hollywood wasn't in the situation that it was and if cinema going wasn't in the situation that it was i don't think there would have been this 3d movement at the moment a few years ago i was very cynical about it and didn't think it was going to stick around um and it's still sticking around and it probably at this point isn't going to go away but i struggle to see it being the way of seeing films it's weird because in the past it's always died out because it's been obvious it's a gimmick yeah as you said it's it's not the first go around for 3d it's it was reasonable to assume that the novelty would wear off because it always has done before. And I wonder if it says something about how credulous we are now, as opposed to several years ago, <laughs> that it's stuck around. But it, that's the difference between me, my potential sadness and my anger, because I mentioned Dread. Well, it's very frustrating to hear about a film that was actually a pretty good little film, pretty accessible, yep. pretty fun, really well made. And in the same social media stream you could have you would be hearing stories about how it was failing to the extent that there definitely wasn't ever going to be another one but that actually that film was a flop and on the other hand people saying that they were going to have to drive 50 miles to watch it in their preferred way so sod it they weren't going to do it that's broken the, the movie industry doesn't get to complain that people aren't valuing what they're putting out when they're making it so difficult for people to watch it. It's just... Uh, anyway. That's what you think, anyway. That's what I think, anyway. <laughs> Do you know, if I was a proper good dog owner, I probably would have gone downstairs and seen what was wrong with them. There's probably a murderer downstairs. I'll go down there and there'll just be a murderer in the middle of the room, murdered by my dogs. Yes. Well, by, by Willow, aren't you? I haven't done anything. <laughs> Hang on. Oh, bless him. Probably just a little cry. Uh-oh. That's a big one.
Running the risk there of waking him up. (laughs) (laughs) Is it a two-way? Okay. Sorry. Is it it a two-way monitor? You can like walkie-talkie with him. I didn't hear that either. Oh, okay. Yes, I'm still here. I I heard you say something about a three-way, and then (laughs) don't you with him? No, I don't think any of that really worked out at all. Um, I was saying, is it a two? Is it a two-way monitor? Like you could walkie-talkie with him? Yeah, yeah. Gonna, well, breaker, know, breaker, I mean, Roger, ten four seven. Yeah, mm. yeah. I don't think he'd understand it though. He hasn't. Uh, he hasn't done the trucker training. So, oh, okay. Visit unanswered